I'm not going to be able to give wisdom on how to select a business partner, but personality wise, it's just too difficult to nail down. I think my biggest piece of advice is protect yourself and your partnership agreement. Welcome to the Franchise Friend Podcast, where we bring you an exclusive peek into the world of franchise ownership. All right, we got Cody Herndon on the Franchise Friend Podcast. So Cody, you own Urban Air, Fat Tuesdays, and Little Jim. I'm assuming that you have more time in your day than most of us do. Uh, how, do you, how do you do it? <laughs> well, yeah. You know, common common theme, right? Is we all have the same 24 hours. It's really about what we do with it. And I think it's, um, you know, it's it's uh, common for people to to look at that. And then even as we were kind of talking before the, before the, the podcast started about my career, uh, which is outside of, of what we were doing in our franchise businesses to assume that maybe I don't even sleep, but uh, I think sleep is a top priority for me as well. So I certainly still get seven to eight hours of sleep a day. And it's really about what you do with the, the time that you're awake um, on a day to day basis. And so but really, when you say, how do you do it? Uh, I, I have to say it's not just me. Right. Like, I think there's um Sometimes a misconception from a business ownership perspective that you, because you own a business, you're in that business and you are, um, I'll just use Urban Air as an example. You're putting wristbands on guests, you're cooking pizzas, you're a court monitor. Um, that's not necessarily the intent and the goal. And I think there's you know, probably people that we can look at from maybe even a non-franchise perspective, like Elon Musk is an example somebody that owns multiple businesses, but there's no way that he functions in all of the roles. And so the answer to how do you do it is, it's really about having the ability to recruit, hire and retain good people. Um, I think that's the key probably to any business, but certainly on the franchise side, because you know the benefit of course of a franchise is, is there's already a system in place. There's a model. There isn't something that you have to figure out. So then the, when you remove that uh, element from things, it's about how do I find the right people to partner with, to inspire, to to bring these brands online. And uh, that first person starts with my wife. So I have to give her all the credit in the world, man. Like there's no way we could be doing what we're doing if it wasn't for her. Um, I've seen her leadership lead grow tremendously over the past eight years. And it's exciting to watch. And, and uh, so it really boils down to people, man. Yeah, let's kind of explore that a little bit more. I think whenever, you know, I'm talking to people about getting into franchising, you know, they they kind of, you know, sometimes they get caught up in the widget or like, you know, what the offering is, you know, but, you know, sometimes try to steer people away from that and help them understand like what this is all about. And it's about building a culture, you know, and building a culture within your business. You know, is there like an underlying theme that you might have like across all three businesses of something that you embody in each one of these businesses to keep that culture positive and keep people wanting to work for you and your wife? Yeah, I mean, you nailed it, right? Culture is king. And I think that it's the, the way that you lead uh, has, has maybe proven to be successful for us. And there's other ways of leadership, right? But our philosophy is um, kind of from uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. So I don't want to claim that I took this, but Gary V talks about leading with honey instead of vinegar. And I think we spend a lot of time doing that. We spend a lot of time really showing our appreciation to the staff in various ways. I mean, it really drills down to even even deeper than that. So in the, like the urban air business is an example, 
a core demographic for us is 16, 17 and 18 year olds, right? Like that's 95% of our employees. And we have no idea where they're coming from, from a home life perspective. And so we call it high fives and hugs uh, is what we call it. And so when, when they come to work with us, yes, they're going to learn important skills. Some of them don't know how to sweep. Some of them don't know how to mop, right? Like we, we teach them those kind of core basic skills, but we also make sure that they know that they're part of the Herndon family, that, that at any hour that they need to call and talk to us, um, we're, we're here. And, and that can be anything about, I'm like, hey, I need help in my math class. That can be my boyfriend broke up with me. That could be my parents are going through a divorce, right? There's so many different factors that people are going through on a day-to-day basis. And we just really become vulnerable with them. And I think vulnerability is probably the key word here is if you will open yourself up to your staff and be vulnerable with them, they'll they'll be vulnerable with you. And, and I think that that's proven to do well for us over time, um, just really ha- being able to embody that type of a culture. And then when you have that type of a culture, right, you're spending... of your time praising people, telling them you love them, giving them a high five, giving them a hug. And so when there is a a behavior that needs correction, then when you're coming to them, they don't get defensive because they know you love them and they know that you're coming to them from a good place in your heart um, versus the opposite of that, right? Which is when we're totally focused on corrective behavior and there's never any like positivity involved there then when you really do have to have a tough conversation with somebody, they get defensive and they think you're attacking them and those types of things. So vulnerability, I think, is one of the key things that has proven to to be successful for us from a leadership perspective. Sure. Yeah, sometimes I tell people um, whenever I owned my massage envies, I felt like a professional personality management person. <laughs> yes. you know? like, like you have to be you have to be willing to to manage a bunch of different types of personalities, you know, Very everybody true. comes from different backgrounds and, uh, you know, and they have different experiences every day. And so um, I think you just have to be an open ear. So I appreciate that perspective. It is in Fat Tuesday. That's a that's a more of a restaurant style. Is that right? Yeah, it's um, honestly like it's it's drive through daiquiris is what it is. Okay. Um, <laughs> and, and so just kind of the history there, Fat Tuesday started as New Orleans original daiquiri in the Louisiana market. And they had grown corporately over time. They did some licensing agreements like in the 80s, I think. I think they started in 84 as a corporation. But anyhow, as, as they evolved, again, it was just about the daiquiri because they, they truly have this down to a science, the amount of R&D they've done to get the right consistency, the right amount of sugar, the right amount of water, what temperature is right, like all these things they've, they've truly nailed. When they started expanding outside of the Louisiana market, particularly in Texas, uh, they started to learn that the laws are not as liberal as they are, I guess, in, in, <laughs> in, in the Louisiana and even the Florida market. So they're popular in, in Key West and those types of things. So in Texas, a majority of your, your localities require that you serve food if you're serving alcohol. And so for our, um, for our Fat Tuesday, we, we, we have it more as like a quick service restaurant. So we have uh, we do wings and fries and, and pizzas and, and some desserts. And they're really, um, they're great, um, but they're, it's not so, like, I don't have fryers in, in the back, right? There's, yeah. there's some significantly amazing technology in the ovens that we have that I can cook. I can cook three of those things I just mentioned to you all at the same time. And they're all at varied temperatures and, and, uh, and time frames, And it's really neat, that technology there. So 
Um, but still, I would say upwards of 90% of our revenue there is, is drink-based. Uh, we also have a rooftop patio, so we have karaoke nights and DJs and all of the fun stuff. We have some sports, not just sports, and we have music trivia night and, and those types of fun, fun events. So yeah, more of a quick service restaurant, different and outside of the other you know youth enrichment brands that we have, but um, something super fun uh, that that the community likes to enjoy and. We, we, uh, we hear regularly our, our friends from the Louisiana markets that have moved to BFW. I mean, we have people that will drive two hours to come fill up their Fat Tuesday mug because uh, <laughs> they love the drink so much. So it's, it's really <laughs> That's cool. Um, you know, I feel like sometimes like quick service restaurants get a bad rap, you know, like and you know, so like almost nine out of 10 conversations I have with people are like, I don't want food. I don't want Bev. Do you think that's unfair? I think it's uneducated is what I think. I think if you're opening up a full restaurant um, and I, I lean on, uh, I have some, some good friends that own a family entertainment center that is multifaceted, right? They've got bowling, they've got go-karts, they've got um, arcade, you know, all those fun things. Sure. Um, escape room, right? All of that. And then they put a full restaurant in and that restaurant with the staffing, from the chef all the way down to the uh, all the way down to the servers, that that model is is low margin, right? When you're in the quick service food, you're not worried about paying an executive chef to hundred grand a year to work for you, right? Like right. Um, it's so simplified that that and that's where you want to be. I, I think if you're thinking about those types of things, then um, I think QSR is is actually a more of a profitable business, and it and it has become more streamlined with technology over time. And so, uh, but where where's the line, right? Where's the line between being a QSR and being a full restaurant? And, and I think there are concepts that teeter that line. And so, it's really just about being educated on the concept that you're looking at. Um, again, all the way down to what ovens are you using sure. to help you determine um, the the QSR side of things. Cool. So, so I'm interested, I'm sure most people would be listening, like, how do you, you know, like kind of take us back, I think it was 15 years ago or so, whenever you first started your franchise, and I'm sure that you probably replayed this moment in your head. Um, but what was that decision like to decide to go into franchising, maybe not even just do something on your own, you know, go with some, you know, some business that you've created? What was that decision like? And how did that become three, you know, and so if you could just kind of walk us through like that, that journey of deciding to kind of become a, you know, franchise, franchisepreneur. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I think the idea started when we actually lived in Albuquerque and we missed one of our favorite quick service food restaurants. It's called Chicken Express. And uh, we, we reached out to Chicken Express to see if they were interested in, in coming to the New Mexico market. And they weren't at the time. But that was, I think, if I can remember like any moment, uh, that was it. It was thinking, hey, let's, let's, I don't know what franchising is, but let's ask them and see if they're interested. And so as I became just more intelligent over time, like we, we continue to study and educate ourselves. I did pick up on the fact that, again, there's staggering statistics for small businesses, right? Just the amount of them that don't make it. And you start trying to analyze why that is. And, and nine times out of 10, it's there was a good idea, but there was lack of execution. So when you can go into the franchise space, you already have a playbook. You have the X's and O's. Really, all you have to do is follow the playbook. Now, it doesn't guarantee success, 
there's some factors beyond that, but that really helps uh, uh, with your odds, right? Sure. And so I think it got to a point for us where I was looking at investing. And when you invest in the stock market or I have friends in the private equity industry that, that have these great investment vehicles, I have zero control over that, right? So I write you a check or wire you money, whatever the, the case may be. And then that investment money goes into X, Y, and Z. And then I just sit there with my hands tied and that's, man, that's difficult for me. Like I'm a doer, I'm a go, go getter type of person. And so the franchise model made sense because again, outside of getting the playbook, I had the uh, ability to influence that investment. And so that was on our mind and top of mind as well. So a confluence of, of things, we moved back to the DFW market from Albuquerque and we were invited to a birthday party of a friend of ours at Urban Air. And it was uh, one of the first corporate locations that was open. I didn't, it didn't register with me as a business at the time. It was more about having fun. Like uh, me and my friend, we were in our, our, I guess, early to mid thirties at that point. And we're dunking basketballs and throwing dodgeballs at each other. And just, you know, I don't know that that's middle age, but older guys acting like kids. <clears throat> so I decided, Hey man, my son has to have his birthday party here next year. So when we had the party the next year, that's when the light bulb started going off. Like, Hey, this, you know, this place is busy. It looks like it's really, really neat. And uh, we could certainly see this concept working in our, our hometown. And so we came back, sent an email in inquiring about franchising. We um, think the number is six. We were franchise number six. There's 173 locations open now with, my gosh, I think another 30 that will open in the next 12 months. I mean, the brand has grown tremendously. And we we're excited to be, you know, part of that, you know, first, uh, first franchisee group. But that was that was the genesis behind it was you've got a playbook. We're looking to kind of have some influence over our investment. Um, and then this family entertainment concept, uh, which seemed to make a lot of sense to us, was was real. And then maybe lastly, and I hope that as as listeners think about if they're looking to go into franchise space, man, I think the last number I heard, there's over 4000 franchise concepts now. So, you know, my encouragement to people is you get lost in the weeds there. Uh, pretty quickly. And so I would say uh, for us, youth, like the youth are, it's a passion of ours. Like we, we spend our extra time mentoring the youth of our community. We work with nonprofits that, um, that are foster placement agencies, right? So having businesses that were youth enrichment brands fit us big time. And what I've learned over time is if you're not passionate about what you're doing, it really doesn't matter how much money it's going to make. There are going to be really tough days and there's going to be sleepless nights and there's going to be challenges with employees and your landlord's going to give you grief and customers are going to yell at you on and on and on. Right. So if you're not passionate about what you're doing, then that's not going to be fruitful for you. Um, and I'm not talking about monetarily. I'm talking about living on the day to day. And so, yeah, I could have invested in a chicken express. I could have invested in many other things, but the urban air brand made sense because that's what we're passionate about. We're passionate about kids. Um, and not only do we reach kids as our customer, but kids are our employee and our team as well. And so um, highly encourage people to just spend some time looking introspectively at what makes you tick, what you're excited about, what, what your passion is. 
and then try to align yourself with a franchise that's in that space. Yeah, that's good advice. And, you know, I really like um, the the part about, oh man, what was it that you were saying? Um, well, we'll get back to it. There was something that you, that you hit that clicked with me. Well, so I know that you're a validator for, you're a validator for Urban Air, is that right? Uh, and I've started validation for the Little Gym as well. Okay. Um, since we've got, we have our first location open, our second one opens next weekend. So I've spent some time with, with franchisees there as well. So, you know, what are some of the, you know, some of the main concerns, not necessarily around the brands, but what are you, what do you feel like people's main concerns are about getting into franchising in general? What are some of those like questions that you're getting on these calls yeah. from people that are just, you know, shaking in their boots? <laughs> Man, that's natural, right? I mean, uh, and I think about the first loan we did and it was, it was seven figures and, and there were nights I was up at 3 a.m. thinking, what in the heck did I just do, right? Like, I, I'm, am I ever going to sleep again? Is this going to pay off? Are we going to like go bankrupt if this doesn't work out, right? All of those fears and anxiety. And I think that's the number one thing. It doesn't, almost doesn't matter what question someone's asking. I think the underlying tone is I'm about to put money and debt at risk here. Am I going to make it? Am I going to make it? Like that's, that's what people want to know is, and, and so it's funny you ask this question because there's a lot of uh, a lot of validation calls I'm on that it's hey how many employees do you need and, and uh, <laughs> what accountants are you using and do you have a good attorney and I'm like let's get to the point you want to know if you're going to make money so right. let's <laughs> let's talk about that and and that's yeah. not a faux call like guys businesses we're in a capitalistic society I think that for us you know morally are we're grounded in making sure that we find uh, you know pillars of our of our businesses are to give back to the community so yes we want to make money so that we can pour that money back into our community it doesn't all just go back into our pockets but to, i don't mean to sidebar there to get back to no, it yeah. people want to know if it's profitable they want to know if they can do it while they're still working that's another pretty big question because you know if you can keep your job while you're investing your, your in your spare time, that's a great thing. Uh, I, I think it, that if you can strike the right balance, it's doable. I think for Urban Air as an example for us, dude, 80% of our revenue comes on the weekends. Well, heck, if I'm working during the week, then I can spend my time on the weekend in this investment business, right? And so th those are some pretty some pretty key ones. Of course, you know, there's people's perceptions and there's stuff that's out in the public about brands and they want to know about those things. They want to know the inner workings. Um, but I would say that, you know, the top is, are we going to make money and can I do it? Or do I need to leave my job? Right. Like, or can I balance this while I have a job? Right. Um, those seem to be, you know, kind of at the top of the list. Yeah. Do you think that, do you think that that's possible? Do you feel like people can, can invest in a franchise and keep their job? I mean, I'm living proof of it. Yeah, I, it, it can be done. I think that it depends on the brand and it depends on what model you're going after. I've seen brands that are very, very stickler about that and, and they want, they don't want you to have a job, right? Like they're mm -hmm. saying, if this is going to be successful, you've got to be an owner operator. And, and I think that there are businesses that that has to, that has to happen. Um, I'll speak with one offline and it's it's a I don't know that it's necessary it's a franchise but it's more of like the chick-fil-a model um, where it's you know you're not you're not investing your money into it you're an owner operator yeah. but you have to go through some sort of like 
process to be selected. So my parents did that with Amazon. So they're a delivery service partner with Amazon. Yeah. So the people that pull up to your house, they're not employed by Amazon. They're employed by a DSP. Right. And so that process, my parents have to be heavily involved. They can't have another job like that. That is their job. Um, but as you can imagine, delivery for Amazon is, is I mean, there is no shortage of <laughs> work there. So they're busting their butts seven days a week right now. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that to answer your question, it goes back to the selection process. Yes, it can be done. And that does not mean, in my opinion, that you're going to go give somebody your franchise fee and they're going to go have this turnkey opportunity for you and it's going to be successful. You are going to have to invest time. Um, you're going to have to hire the right people. You're going to want to continue to, to nurture those people. And, and I would say in the beginning time, uh, Urban Air is probably six months before we, we really stabilize. And so um, in, that, in that particular you know, venture, we spent the weekends there. I mean, that's what we did. We did. It was during the school year and we're only open from four to eight on the week during the week. So that was even good too, right? Like we could be in there in the evenings, um, just polishing and making sure that all the processes and systems were running the way that they were supposed to. We just happened to have a, an end date uh, for, for our participation in the park. Uh, my wife got pregnant um, during the, the franchisee process. So when we were opening, uh, we opened in September of 2015. And our, our, our second child was due uh, at, at the beginning of April. She, she came at the end of March. And so it was like, hey, guys, you guys have to be able to run this business by the time the baby comes. <laughs> so it's a line in the sand for all of us. Um, <laughs> so you can create your own arbitrary line in the sand too. Uh, but it's, it's absolutely doable. Um, we, we had up to, um, we had two operating urban airs uh, and a third in development at our peak. And so even those who were thinking, can I do even more than one? Can I be a, can I be a multi-unit owner? Can I be a multi-unit, multi-brand owner? Again, the answer is yes. It's going to boil back down to the people that you hire. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you, you know, like this is exactly why I wanted to do a podcast like this is because I get, you know, like, Hey, what does it really take? You know? And sometimes what you'll hear is like these brands kind of pump themselves up. semi absentee. You don't have to put, put that much work 10 hours a week. You know, and this offers some perspective, even with something like an urban air where you probably have 20 employees. I don't know what you have, 10 to 20 employees in an urban air or how many? How many so right now, and we're one of the smaller locations. We have 71. 71. Um, wow. Okay. Our, yeah. our larger <laughs> locations like it are, are, we had one in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We had, a, we kept 120 on staff there. Wow. Um, it was a higher volume store and, and, um, and also when you're dealing with that age group, you have the tendency to not show up. <laughs> and sure. So, uh, but yes, I would say well, 60, well, to, 60 to 120 is, is a typical personnel for urban air. Wow. So, but plenty of coverage, right? I mean, you know, so, uh, but still you need your, you, like the involvement of the owner is important. Um, yes. And so, like, and I'm, I'm glad to have that perspective, you know, because I, get a little weary whenever like people ask me like how much time is it going to take in this business i'm like i don't know like you know how much time do you like how successful do you want to be you, right. know? Um, you know if you're going to write a check and disappear it's not going to work you know like how important has it been for you to not just have the franchisor support but other franchisees you know like has that been more important to you or has it been more important like the franchisor support yeah. And I look, I have a lot of great franchisee friends. And so I don't want this to come off the wrong way, but the, 
what is most important to me is franchise or support. And I think that because like, it's cool for us to be friends and, and we all have the same businesses, right? And we can ping ideas off of each other when we need to. But I don't, I don't know that, you know, me being buddy, buddy with the franchisee next to me does anything for my business, right? Like, I think it can, I think you should coexist in a very positive way and you should leverage each other. Uh, I mean, I have, again, I have great relationships with folks because I mean, even as we bring our next little gym online this week, <clears throat> the closest gym to us, I'm talking to them. Hey, what's your pricing for, for memberships? What's your pricing for birthday parties? I want us to be at a similar level. So I'm not cannibalizing any of your business, right? Like those types of things. But yeah. ultimately I have to have my blinders on and I have to do what I do. And I, I really can't be influenced by what's going on with somebody else's business or whether they like the brand or not, right? Like those types right. of things. Yep. So there's a fine balance of being a good franchisee, being part of the base. And, and I serve on franchisee council as well. So I'm, I mean, I'm speaking that, that I think it's important, but the franchise or support is everything. And I, man, in my years of franchising and friends getting into the franchising space as well, just like you mentioned, there are some brands that'll pump you up and tell you, you know, it's semi-absentee ownership and, and, you know, you can only work, you only have to work at X amount. <clears throat> There's also brands that are going to tell you they have the best support on this planet. Um, yeah. And that, you know, that's far from the truth. And so um, I think you have to interview your franchisors and you have to ask some pretty pointed questions and get some very specific examples of what is support? What do you mean by that? What, what does it look like during grand opening? What does it look like two months later? Marketing, are you going to build a website for me? Am I going to be admin on my Facebook page, right? Like all these things, what, sure. what does support truly look like? Don't just buy the word support as, as, as scripture. Really challenge them on that. If your franchise word is not good, it's going to be difficult for you to be good. So forget all the franchisee friends again, right? Like you want your <laughs> franchise work to be at the top of their game um, and delivering quality service to you so that you can deliver quality service to your guests coming in the door. That's a good point. Do you think like, you know, I, I try to encourage people and tell me if I'm getting bad, bad advice here. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I try to encourage people to associate themselves with the top 20% of the franchisees. Like don't get in the mix of the people who are bashing the brands or don't, you know, don't feel good about their investment and just kind of wallow in their sorrows. Like associate yourself with people who are being successful, like like-minded people. Is that, is that good advice? Do you feel like, you know, if you're taking advice to talk to the better franchisees and, and don't get involved yourself with the people who are kind of, you know, upset at the brand? I think it's solid advice. You know, I think it also depends on what, 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 what the timing is when you're talking to somebody. And so I actually like to encourage people to, um, now we're just saying validation, like when I say timing. So we're, right. I'm talking to somebody who's, who's had their first couple of steps with the franchise or now they're talking to me. And I want to tell them, I want you to talk to a couple of franchisees that are successful. And I want you to talk to a couple of franchisees that are not. And I want you to find some, some common themes in both of those groups. Um, and that just comes from the, the knowledge that in any base, there's generally 10 to 20% that are not happy. And, and that's just the way that it is. And that can be for various reasons. It could be that they're just not happy in life in general. It could be that they really weren't a good fit for the brand. It could be they're not great business owners, right? There's a, a litany of, of reasons. 
But uh, I liked them to hear that perspective and to challenge them to find what the common themes are. What makes these people successful? The top 20%, like you mentioned, right. and then this bottom 10, 20%, why are they not successful? So then they have a model of what to do and what not to do. And, and you're right, dude. Like just if you're, it's hard to soar like an eagle when you're surrounded by turkeys, right? And so right. don't, don't get in the middle of the turkeys. You, you want to learn from the best. And I, I, um, I think that that's very sound and solid advice. And usually those top 20% of franchisees are also generally the ones that are willing to invest in other franchisees. And I've found that's big time in our little gym um, experience. Some of the top franchisees have really poured into us. And I'm so grateful for that and thankful for that. And I, I hope that we can do the same and return the favor someday. Yeah, the, the little gym that's up the street from me, my little three-year-old goes, or he went there. He's no, but absolutely loves it. You know, it's a real well-run facility. It's, it's great. Yeah, and, and I, I've always loved that brand. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's really special. Um, it's special in the fact that we start taking kids at four months old. So that's really neat. That's like way people think, what do you do with a six month old? But there's plenty we can do with a six month old, which is <laughs> awesome. But it's also a safe space for kids, right? And and um, when I think about gymnastics and the competitive side, I think about my son who we started in gymnastics at four years old and he, he really liked it, right? We were going once a week. He was developing skills. And I think that that set a foundation for him as an athlete moving into the future, right? He had very great core strength, great balance. But in a competitive gym, at some point in time, you're going to be pushed to compete. I mean, that's what they do. And so he got moved into the competitive side. And now we're practicing three and four days a week, three hour practices. And it became not fun anymore. But there was no other choice. It was like you're either here and competing or you quit. And so he did quit uh, and we have other sports that we can get involved in when you're six years old. Right. But right. there are plenty of kids out there that really love gymnastics. And, and while we have a, we have a gymnastics foundation, we're still also teaching cognitive development. We're teaching social development. Um, but for those kids that age up and I'm thinking specifically of like our six to 12 year old age group that we have curriculum for, we're a safe space for them to come and, and learn gymnastic skills, learn the little gym way, but not be pressured into competition. And I think that's a, a really neat thing for us at the little gym as well. Yeah. So like, how, how do you keep your, you know, we kind of touched on this at the beginning, you know, you have like, how do you keep your life balance, you know, with the kids, wife, wife's involved in business, yep. you know, are you able to kind of separate yourself? Is it because you hire good people, you know, like kind of share with us, you know, what is it that you're doing to be able to keep your lifestyle and your flexibility? Yeah, that's a great question, man. And, and I think I'd like to start just by saying sometimes you have to nail down the definition of balance. <laughs> and so there were times in my life that I thought balance meant everything needs to be equal, right? Like my faith, my family, business, career, kids, right? All that stuff has to be equal. And that's not necessarily balance because life ebbs and flows, right? Um, sometimes balance is just not letting one of those things drop. And, and that's okay. It's okay to recognize that. Um, I do strive for the first definition of balance. I have learned over time that it's just not always that way. When I feel it getting to this point where, oh shoot, I'm trying to just not let this one thing drop, then I do try to make corrections so that I can bring everything back up to maybe more of an equal level. 
But I think it's multifaceted. The reason we are able to do all the things we do is because of the people that we've been able to attract and hire and, and um, continue to develop relationships with them. But it, it also too, man, I, I know you already touched on it, but it's, 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 it's truly a husband wife combo. And, and if I don't have my wife's buy-in and, and help and, and assistance, and, and then we have, we almost have a, it's not almost, we have a system and a pattern of recognizing where our strengths and weaknesses are and plugging the stronger person in to their strengths and then not getting offended because we're doing that. Right. So I can see, and, and when you think about just being married and that being a challenge of itself, right. Then you throw being business partners into that and it can, it can really be tough for people because they can't seem to put their emotions to the side and say, Hey, look, Cody is really good at the front end of this. Um, he's really good at negotiating leases. He's really good at the, the development, working with the general contractors. He's really good at, at the hiring side of things and really, and then the ongoing motivation and, and making sure we're identifying the right cultural tasks and what we should be doing in, internally, where Leanne is, is stronger than I am at training at, at, at getting organized. She's just got this fascinating mind to me. Like if she wasn't doing this, she would be organizing people's closets for a living or something like she's just really good at that stuff. And so Leanne doesn't get mad when I pass the baton to her to the stronger parts. And I could see in some situations, people would say, man, my husband is just lazy. He's making me do this where Leanne recognizes this is her strong suit, right? And this is where for our business to be successful, she has to spend time. And even just told her the other day, like, she's going to take the little gym brand further than I could ever even imagine. And that I could ever do because this is filled. It's getting into a sweet spot for her. She's very maternal and motherly. And, uh, and, and that is huge in this business. And I didn't see it when we were vetting the brand, but I see it now that we have a location open and she's, she's going to own those, that brand and she's going to run it and she's going to do phenomenal with it. Like it's, it's cool. So Anyhow, for us, it's, it, it is having that combo. Maybe your wife or husband isn't on board in terms of being a business partner, but that's where you can hire a general manager, right? And, and the general manager can be your right-hand person and the person that you're, you're, you're sharing the, the day-to-day with. And so that's how we do it. Um, and then, you know, I think that the neat thing with our businesses is that our kids can be involved in them. And I know that might sound weird with Fat Tuesday, but my daughter... I mean, she was four years old, three or four when we were opening. And she's before we open the doors, of course. So I don't want to get anybody in trouble with child labor. But like (laughs) she's back there like cleaning and and helping us stock and and all that kind of stuff. And and even with Fat Tuesday, we've created a very family friendly environment. This is not a place where you go and you're bellying up to the bar and you get drunk. Right. Like we have kids there on the regular and they're, they're engaging with their parents. They've got those cool games. Uh, on their phone where you're, you're trying to guess the word, right? like all that fun stuff. And so yeah. that's how we can also keep some balance as our kids are involved in the business. My daughter is at camp right now at the little gym. Uh, my son spent summers uh, at, uh, at, at Urban Air. And again, that helps with some of the balance as well, because our kids are involved. They're not sitting at home with a, a nanny or, or, or any of those kind of things. And so that, um, that helps keep our family unit tight. And last but certainly not least, just make sure you're planning time with your families, 
there, there's ebbs and flows. Like I said, first six months is usually pretty critical for you and you may not have that time away, but make sure you're taking your family and going away for a few days and disconnecting at times. Um, they'll, they'll value that. They won't ever remember like the success of the business. They may remember that you were gone. And so try to keep that close. Um, yeah. and, and if, even if you are gone a lot, right, then when you come home, you're, you're taking time to spend with them and, and they, they're going to, they're going to remember that piece of things for sure. Yeah. That's great advice. Do, have, have you ever had a business partner other than I have. It's hard. <laughs> yeah. 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 So somebody who's looking for a business partner, I mean, do you have any advice for somebody who's looking for a business partner, you know, or who, who has a business partner? Like how, you know, how's that relationship work? Yeah. I've had partnerships that were phenomenal. And so it's, it's absolutely doable. Um, but it's almost like a relationship in the sense that you have to date someone a while before you actually know them. And sometimes you never know them <laughs> all the way like you should. And yeah. so I think that even when you know somebody really well, when you get into business with somebody, it, you may see a different side of them you've never seen before. Um, and you may become a little bit different than, than you've been in the past as well, admittedly. And so I think my, the best piece of advice is I'm not going to be able to give wisdom on how to select a business partner. I think that, you know, there's some very basic stuff there that if I'm, if I'm wanting to get into a family entertainment business, maybe I search out other family entertainment owners. So then they're going to bring some wisdom. But personality wise, it's just too difficult to nail down like who you're going to mesh with as a business partner the best. Um, I think my biggest piece of advice is protect yourself and your partnership agreement. And I don't mean that like, I mean, protect the partnership as a whole, because that can be a friendship and should be a friendship at some point as well. And you don't ever want to lose a friendship over business. And even when it gets really, really tough and dark, if you have written your operating agreement in a particular manner, then you can put clauses in that that allow you to dissolve the whole dang thing and everybody walk away without their feelings completely hurt, right? Sure. Um, one of those, is, it's called a shotgun clause. And so if you're going to try to buy a partner out, then you have to go through this whole process, right? Like they may not agree to the business valuation. So then you got to hire somebody to come in and value the business. And then they may not accept your offer, right? All that stuff that can get like really, really hairy. Yep. So the shotgun clause, if you and I are business partners, we're 50-50 and we're at each other and we just can't find a resolution. I come to you and I say, Charles, here's 50 grand for your 50%. You have 30 days to either accept that offer or give me 50 grand and then I'm out. So either way, somebody's out in the shotgun clause. And so that forces me to make sure I'm actually valuing it fairly <laughs> because right. if I'm lowballing you, you can turn right back around and take my piece away from me. But I, I like that shotgun clause because it, it gives everybody a way out if relationships are about to sour. And so that's probably my bigger piece of advice is just protect the relationship that you're getting into within your operating agreement and just be specific in that operating agreement. Hey, you're an operating partner. You're in charge of XYZ. I am head of marketing. Right. I do A, B and C. So if you're very detailed and then you protect yourself with some sort of exit strategy, then um, you'll 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 have those friendships, even if the business is not great. Yeah, that's great advice. So I kind of just want to wrap things up. And yeah. uh, again, I, I appreciate your time, Cody. Um, if you had to kind of wrap this up and, you know, you're talking to an audience of people who are looking at taking this step, 
you know, you kind of touched on the passion piece, you know, find something that you're passionate about that you can kind of see yourself doing, you know, one, one really good bit of advice that I got that I finally remembered that I was talking about earlier was, you know, to invest in things that you understand, you know, and like, and I can understand some things with franchising, you know, so like I can understand how this works. I understand how I can influence this to make it better. You know, and like you said, like if I just like write a check to some private equity guy, I don't know what's going to happen with it. And I have no idea how it's valued, you know. Um, So like, you know, obviously investing in things that you understand has always been a really good piece of advice I got. But, you know, what kind of advice could you give someone who's looking to take this leap of getting into franchising, you know, and you've seen it on these validation calls where people are just looking for a reason to not do it, you know, like, uh, what, what would be some good bit of advice for, you know, you to give to people to exit, you know, their, their corporate job or, you know, or to invest in their future and keep their corporate job. What kind of advice would you give? Yeah. Um, it's, it's really, really simple advice and something everybody's probably already heard, but it just couldn't be more accurate. And it's, there is never going to be a perfect time. So this fantasy time that you're waiting on, that is, oh, I've got enough money or, oh, I've got enough time or I've got the right concept. Like it's never going to come. It will never come. You have to take action. Like you can, if you sit, it's, it's paralysis by analysis, right? All those things. Can I tell you how many people have come into our first urban air location and said, like, right. I was going to do this or I was going to do that. Yeah. And, and well, you did it, right? And I did. And, and, and so, and there's also a first mover's advantage, right? If, if you're, I just had someone reach out to me the other day, are you still interested in opening up X coffee shop in Waxahachie? I'm like, I'm really not anymore because three other concepts have come in and I don't want to just try to, you know, vie for the piece of the pie. I want to fill a gap in my market and not just be a competitor. But man, I can't tell you how many times somebody has told me that they were going to do something that they didn't. And that's the biggest thing. Like, just do it, man. Like, take the leap. Of course, don't be, don't just be lackadaisical about it and jump at the first thing, do your research, but it's not going to happen unless you pull the trigger and the perfect time is never going to come. And so, I mean, think about that. I just told you urban air, I'm opening up and going into millions of dollars in debt and my wife gets pregnant, right? Like, I mean, we're kind of freaked out there, right? But there's no perfect time. And so guess what? Like we, we use that to our advantage. Uh, We, we set an end date to train our staff, right? All of those things. And so that perfect time is not coming, guys. Um, if you're not going to do it, somebody else is, and then you're going to miss out. So don't miss this window of opportunity to take action right now. And that's that's really what separates the top people in the in life is just the people that take action. Everybody else has just been kind of sitting on the sidelines, and and they're missing out on the life that they could have created because they just didn't do it. They just didn't take the leap. Um, so take the leap, people. Just jump. Go do it. <laughs> cool, man. Well, thanks for joining us today, Cody. I really appreciate it, man. You're awesome. I really appreciate appreciate your perspective and a ton, a ton of experience, man. So thank you again. All right. Thank you for having me, and I appreciate it. Yeah, buddy.